0: If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies
1: from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show.
0: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I am super excited because we have an absolute rock star on the line this week as our guest. And I know I say that about every guest every week, but this guest actually is a podcast, uh, actually is an expert. A little bit about her. Dr. Erin Nitsch is a certified personal trainer, health coach, fitness nutrition specialist, therapeutic exercise specialist, college professor, fitness blogger, mother, and passionate fitness professional with over 20 years experience in the fitness industry. She started when she was five years old. I think she mentioned (laughs) because she's 25 years old now. Um, So without further ado, let me introduce all the way from Wyoming, the one and only Miss Erin Nitsch. Erin, how are you?
1: I am well how are you thanks for having me
0: no thank you for coming on um Perfect. now Erin I've been following you for a while I'm quite familiar um, with your blogs and I love your work that's why I brought you on here to speak specifically about nutrition and, and the scope of practice uh, but for someone that hasn't heard of you before or they're, they're hearing about you for the first time give us a little bit of background what is it okay. you do how'd you get into it okay so
1: I started in 2003 um and really since then my my primary role has been um, an exercise science higher education professor. So I've been doing that and teaching in exercise science, human movement, nutrition, human body systems, personal trainer education, health coaching, all of that for well really since 2003. Um, but then I also have done a lot of personal training, a lot of health coaching, nutrition coaching. I do offer those services on the side as a professional in the industry. Um, I am a national presenter. I am a writer for the industry I've published with ACE, NFPT, IDEA, um, and then just, just kind of whatever other independent sort of organizations come to me and ask for, for something, some, some type of whatever the scope of the assignment is. So I do that, but I also offer mentorship uh, guidance and advice for those new professionals, because that really is something, at least in the U.S., where I feel there's a huge gap Mm -hmm. in getting people in the industry, not just getting them in, but but recruiting and retaining them. Um, They tend to get certified. And then if they don't have somebody like a, a professional there to hold their hand, or at least to kind of point them in the right direction and be their guy, their teacher, we tend to lose them. Or they don't maintain their certification, or if they do, they don't use that certification. So it's a pretty costly process to go through if you're not going to be fully committed to it. So I do offer those services here and there, um, but but yeah, I kind of have my hand in a bunch of different <laughs> a bunch of different projects. I do serve as a subject matter expert for ACE as well.
0: Yes, and I'm. Um, if you're listening to this, I recommend reading Erin's blog. She's got a lot of good blogs out there, and. Also, why I respect Aaron quite a lot is they're not necessarily independent blogs. Like let's say, actually, I'll use myself as an example. I now do blog for NFPT as well, which is pretty cool. Um, But before that, I'd write my own blogs and put them on my website. And that's good. It's good information. It's my own platform. You know, I can kind of write whatever I want. Um, Aaron's got a lot of blogs with NFPT and Ace who are, if you're in America, you'll be familiar with them. If you're in Australia, they're quite um, high level bodies over there. And the topic that I like to read about from Erin is the nutrition side of things, and specifically as a fitness professional and and staying in within scope. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, What I think would be cool if we do a bit of a a compare and contrast, I can give the Australian side of things, which I'm very familiar with, and then Erin can give um, the North American side of things. So are you good if we just dive into it, Erin? Let's do it. Awesome. Now, I think we'll start right from the start. I'll share how it works in Australia. And then, Erin, if you can share how it works in, in the US. So over here in Australia, to get qualified as a personal trainer, you, you or anywhere in the fitness industry, you usually go to an independent college or a TAFE, we'll call it here in Australia, and you'll probably study for give or take six months, maybe 12 months. You'll get your qualification. Uh, and then you register, you usually register with a registration body. The biggest one over here is Fitness Australia. It's now called OS Active. That's usually what happens over here. And it's changed a little bit, but I'm just going to simplify it for for the listeners and and, um, for yourself, Aaron, if you're not familiar with the Australian system, where what would usually happen is you get your qualifications, you register with Fitness Australia, you would then get insurance. There was like one insurance company, and you could only really get insurance if you were registered with Fitness Australia. The insurance company wouldn't really check anything. They'd just be like, are you a registered personal trainer with Fitness Australia? You are great. We can give you insurance. You can do anything that's listed within the Fitness Australia scope of practice. Now, that's changed a little bit because now, like, um, there's new insurance agencies that have kind of opened up where you can get insurance even if you're not registered with Fitness Australia. And then it becomes a bit gray. Most people, we still kind of use Fitness Australia or Active as, like, the default. Even if you're not registered with them, you're not insured with them or whatever, you still usually use their guidelines as as a default, but that's kind of the space in in Australia. How does it work over in North America, Erin? If you do you know the Canadian system as well, or should we just talk American?
1: Um, I am not as familiar with the Canadian right. system. Um
0: Let's just do from what ahead. I
1: do know, they they do sound a little bit like Australia in terms yeah. of how they're structured. Um in the United States, uh, we have a plethora of certif- certifying agencies. <laughs> Um, ACE is one of the biggest. They certainly, we have 90,000 members, 90,000 certified members about um, a lot. And that's
0: just one. That's
1: just one. That's just one, but there's NASM, there's ACSM, there's NSCA, there's, there's a whole gamut of them. Um, So instead of having just like one certifying body, we have an accrediting system. Mm. So we have the the credentialing excellence.org and it's NCCA and Every organization that offers any kind of credential wants that accreditation because it's like the gold standard. It's like this stamp of approval and it sets apart. There's, you know, this, this sort of from the dot com type of fitness organizations that you have out there. It's actually a vetted system. Professionals have to demonstrate a certain level of proficiency and competency on all sorts of skills. And each organization has a different scope or a different sort of flavor, if you will. Um, NSCA, for example, that was my primary certification. It's very much like into the strength and conditioning, strength coach, human performance, a lot of research. It's, it's a huge research organization. Um, ACSM, on the other hand, is, is kind of like the mother of all organizations, in that it springs forth a lot of the guidelines that most other organizations will follow. It's a very science based, evidence based organization. Um, and depending on kind of what organization speaks to you and kind of those value systems, are really what professionals choose to go in different ways. We also have a nonprofit side and a pro- for profit side. So like certain organizations will be for-profit, like ACE is a non and it's, it's very different in terms of their price structure and their mission of their organization, their funding structure, their governance structure, all of that is very different. So we have a, a huge, <laughs> a huge melting pot of, of places we can choose from to get certified. I hold certifications from a number of different organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of just depends on how you see yourself using that license and how you connect with that organization. Some organizations are better with the research end of things um, and the hosting national conferences. Other organizations are better at supporting their members and kind of guiding them along along that career path. Um, So there's nothing that precludes professionals in the United States from pursuing a certification with NASM and NFPT and ACE and PN1 and like all over the place. Question?
0: So it's a ton. Sure. Hey, question with that. So, cause this is where I think it's very different Australia and America. So mm-hmm. in Australia, it's kind of like you can do your course with whoever you want, and then you'll go and register with Active or Fitness Australia. But let's say uh, two years down the track, you're not happy with Fitness Australia. You can then go and register with Physical Activity Australia without doing another course. It's just switching the, instead of paying, you know, a couple hundred bucks to this organization, you pay it to this organisation, and then you get their support or whatever. And what so, I'm right in saying, let's let's say, let's just say I went to the USA and I studied and did the NASM course, and then two years in, I'm like, you know what? I don't like the support NASA's getting me. I just want to have transfer my registration over to ACE. Can I do that, or do I need to do the eight? A- yeah, okay. Just um, explain that because I know you're nodding. For people listening on the podcast, they might be like, what do you do?
1: Right, so that that happens a lot. Um, So, if you're certified with an organization, that's your recognized industry credential. So, even though I am an NSCA certified professional, and I came into the industry as an NSCA CPT, in moving to ACE to get the health coach, like I couldn't just be like, I'm already certified, so can I have your credential? Like, you actually have to sit for that exam, primarily because every organization has a very different approach to fitness. Mm -hmm. There are certainly some, the scientific foundational principles are are very much the same, obviously, but how they approach working with a client is is different. And Mm -hmm. the organization that you study with is typically the organization you test with. Mm -hmm. And some organizations, ACE, NFPT, um, NCSF is another one. They are what we call educational partners. So they actually offer a study course that can be implemented in trade and technical schools as well as community colleges and universities. Gotcha. So community college students or um, university students can, if they're interested in say exercise science and their, their university or school is an educational partner with ACE, that's the curriculum they go through. And then they, there's a certain discounted rate that the students would pay to take that exam. Uh, And every organization has a very different sort of approach to continuing education. Mm -hmm. Some Continuing education is um, based on like a two-year cycle and you have to get so many units. Um, Others are like six, like NSCA is six, depending on the year that you got certified. And it's a two-year cycle. Most of them I've seen are are a two-year cycle. There are some that are a five-year cycle and you have to accumulate so much or recertify within a five-year time period. Yeah. So each one is, is so individualized, which is why when we're training new or upcoming professionals or individuals that want to go into the industry, we spend a lot of time guiding them in doing this kind of professional organization research project, because there are so many to choose from. And it really takes a lot of time for you to really dig into the organization and examine like, what are their fees? Yeah. What are their member benefits? What um, what other organizations accept their continuing education units and vice versa? Um, there, there is a lot of cr- cross-fertilization. So I've taken NASM courses before, and that's counted towards my continuing ed with my other certifications. So the industry as a whole is very good about as long as it's an NCCA accredited organization that you're taking the course from, you can... Be given credit towards your recertification if it's an accredited organization. Okay. Um, it's so it's, it's it's convoluted in the United States, is basically what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll do I'll do a compare and contrast there. The CEU or CEC side of things is truly really exactly the same. It's kind of like right, you register every two years and you essentially do 20 hours in two years, which is exactly the same as nasa ACE, AFA over there. They're the, the bodies that I kind of work with a bit over there. Um, The biggest difference is that initial stage. Over here in Australia, and i not saying this is right, but a common attitude is just kind of like, it doesn't really matter who I study with, because either way, I'm only going to learn a certain amount the first time anyway. I just need to get a qualification, get me in the door. They're all going to get me registered with Aus Active or Fitness Australia anyway, and then I'm going to learn on the job and do my CECs, that sort of thing, and, and learn there, which is completely different to the, the US. Um, mm-hmm. but hey, let's get into... We'll move further along the nutrition side of things. I'll share how it works in Australia, scope of practice in general, and then we'll dive a bit more into nutrition. So, one of the biggest advantages of having like one registration body that's pretty much the go to, and one thing they do really well is they've got a document which is basically this is exactly what you can do, and this is exactly what you can't do. I might even share my screen because I've got it open. I know if, you, if I know if you're listening on the podcast. You won't be able to see this, but I think it will help for Aaron as well. And she might even just find it interesting. So there's a document here, the Fitness Australia Scope of Practice. And there's a whole heap of things that you can do and you can't do. And like, um, I'll put the link in the show notes. So if you're watching on the replay and you're like, oh, I didn't know what I I can and can't do. And I'm in Australia. There's a document literally says, this is what you can do, right? Um, And in terms of nutrition, what they say you can do, is you can work within professional limitations to provide basic healthy eating information and advice through the application of nationally endorsed nutritional standards and guidelines. Now that's a mouthful and it's not super specific. Like there's so many things you can, you can do in there, but it at least gives us an idea. So if you're listening to this as a personal trainer in Australia, you kind of know, okay, well, look, there's a document that says I can provide basic healthy eating information. That's another discussion. What's basic, what's not, but it's at least getting us in the right direction Um, and nationally endorsed nutritional standards and guidelines. Over here in Australia, we've got a document, um, Eat for Health, or the Australian guidelines of healthy eating, it's also called. Um, And you may be familiar with that if you're in Australia. So pretty much the way I read that is okay, if it's basic information or if it's in the, the national guidelines it's within my scope of practice. There's also a document that says what you can't do, okay? Oh, sorry, it's the same document and it says what you can't do. And these are things like psychological counselling, diagnostic tests and procedures, independent exercise for high-risk clients. In terms of nutrition, what you can't do is provision of nutrition advice outside the basic healthy eating information and nationally endorsed standards and guidelines. So basically the opposite. So that's how it kind of works in Australia. There's a document that says what you can do and that's what you, you can do. Uh, over in the U.S., Erin, is it different? Is it similar? What, what can you tell us there?
1: It's very similar in terms of what you can and cannot do. And and that's kind of across the board for all the certifying agencies. Um, we have um, the, the dietary guidelines for Americans. Oh, very similar. Awesome. To, I'm assuming what Australia has. Yeah. Uh, so there's basically like it's a general healthy eating pattern. We've got... Um, like the USDA is my plate and we have this model that we can follow. And in the United States, um, each organization typically has a document that is a specific scope of practice as it relates to nutrition. We have that for health coaches. We have that for personal trainers, um, et cetera. And it's very much the same. Like as a personal trainer, I can provide a grocery store tour. I can provide cooking demonstrations if I have that skill. I can, you know, help clients understand how to meal prep, not necessarily meal plan. Mm. That's different. Um, That's getting in more to the weeds and the, in the specifics of things. So things that we cannot do are like nutrient analysis, um, prescriptive sort of caloric ranges, uh, medical nutrition therapy, anything that is dealing with like a, a specialty diet, like vegan or somebody that's, hypertensive, we will have to refer to a registered dietitian. And ultimately what determines your scope of practice isn't even just limited to what your certifying agency says, but in the United States, yes, we are one country, but we have individual states that have individual regulations and guidelines. Mm -hmm. So ultimately there are some states that have no sort of law or statute that says you have to be a registered dietitian to practice this type of nutrition therapy, Gotcha. dangerous, yeah. because then you get like the dot y people that are like, Oh, I, I know about nutrition. Let me guide you. And it gets, it gets really dangerous and really kind of scary. Yeah.
0: There are other statements. So- I'm Sorry to jump in. I've seen a few articles yeah. on, on the internet, just from like kind of influences, yes. you know, yes. influencers oh. people that have lost a lot of weight and they'll sell a diet. Um, yep. There was a good one the other day. Like they got sued through the roof. You know, like yep. they did it and they sold it and something like happened. I'll put the link in in the show notes then as well. But yeah, sorry. yeah. Did you
1: no, yeah. That's it's funny that that you bring up like the instant influencer side of things. I just gave two presentations: one for Ace and one for actually um, Manitoba Fitness Council in um, Winnipeg, Canada, oh, okay. on that very topic.
2: Yeah.
1: So there's a lot of liability, and and you just you kind of get into this slippery slope yeah. when you're not leaning on the, the statutes and limitations that your individual state has. Mm. And that's really where we guide professionals. And especially when it comes to even setting up their businesses, if they're if they're going to be independent contractors versus an employee of yeah. some big box gym or studio or boutique fitness studio or something, we, we guide them that you need to find an attorney that's familiar with business practices and make sure that, Everything you have is in line and legally that that's legally defense, defensible in court because trainers get sued all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, that's the way it goes. We we live in a fairly litigious society, so I think people are very much like quick to pull the trigger and 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 say I'm going to sue. And when it comes to nutrition, that happens. Um, mm-hmm. It happens a lot, unfortunately. And we also have what's called uh, specialty certifications. In the United States, they're not NCCA accredited. They're basically like, if you think about like a contract, they're like an addendum to a contract. They're like this extra sort of bit of knowledge that you have. So like I have the fitness nutrition specialty um, certification and all it really does is widen my breadth and depth of what I know with nutrition. It doesn't mean that I can provide nutrient analysis. It doesn't mean I can guide them through medical nutrition therapy, or give anybody a certain macronutrient range to follow. Anytime you start to get into the specifics, that's really the domain of a registered dietitian.
0: Mm. Let's let's spend a minute there because I get some really good points. Let's start with, okay, let's start with the document actually. So over here in Australia, super easy. Wherever you are in Australia, here's the document, it's written down, go and do it. Now, mm-hmm. Let me see if I understand this. It's almost like a two-step over there in the US where kind of step one is each body should have that document. So like NASM's got one, ACE has got one, NFPT's got one, which will be slightly different based on what you study. We'll get to the state by state in a sec, but is, would that be kind of step one? If there's a, a, an American trainer listening to this, all right, right, I did my course with ACE. Let me get the ACE document. And let me see what that says there. That's step one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And is that easily accessible, that that document? Do you need to email, you know, ACE and get it or is available online on their website? How would a trainer get that? Document?
1: That's a great, uh, that's a great question. I know, for example, with ACE, like you can Google nutrition scope of practice on yeah. their website and it comes up yeah. um, in study materials. There's always like a nutrition for fitness type of chapter that covers things like that. And usually the scope of practice is included in that other organizations might be a little bit different. Um, like NASM, I'm not really sure. I would imagine that you can, you know, go on their website specifically and type in nutrition scope of practice Mm -hmm. and find something, whether it's a blog or it is like an actual PDF document. Yeah or some of their study materials. And if all else fails, like use their contact us yeah. chat and be like, hey, I would like to have this document as part of my yeah. client welcome packet or whatever it is. Yeah. And be, and ask them to direct you towards a downloadable link. But most, most vetted organizations are going to have something like that available.
0: Gotcha. And that's only step one though, right? Because for example, um, ACE might say, right, you know, you can provide basic nutrition guidelines within the, the scope of practice. But, you know, I live in, I mean, I don't know, I live in, what's an example, California, right? But California basically says, hey, if you're a personal trainer, you can't give any, they obviously don't say that, but we're just using examples here. You can't right. give any nutrition. Then it doesn't matter what it says on the, the, you know, the ACE thing. If your state says you can't give nutrition advice, then you can't give it. Is that kind of how it works there?
1: That's how we would guide professionals. Most generally, though, um, even when you look from state to state, like the different regulations, the scopes of practice that your organization, your certifying agencies are going to have outlined will fall under the general guidance category and usually Mm -hmm. not step on the toes of any statute that's out there um, because the organizations are national. So when they're putting together their licensure requirements and their testing and all of their principles and guidelines... They're going to check and see exactly what what can and cannot be done. And they work very closely with people like registered dietitians who are like, that's really the scope of practice of a dietitian, regardless of where you live. So yes, ultimately your state is going to be kind of the the big gun in terms of telling you what you can and cannot do, because that's really what people are going to lean on if they're going to sue you. Yeah. state statute, da, 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 you know, they're going to present that in a court of law. But generally speaking, I have never seen a scope of practice related to nutrition in any certified organization that is not a general yeah. kind of like what you shared in your document, like
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> staying within the guidelines that are really applicable to all, all healthy populations. Um, you know, it's, I've never seen one that ever gets into the specifics or ever says anything like you should meal plan or you should prescribe them a 40, 30, 30 ratio or anything like that. I've never seen anything like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good moral. And it's, it's good to hear that. It's kind of like, no matter where you are in the world, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, this is what it is. Basic healthy eating information, nationally endorsed guidelines. If yes. you follow those two things there, you should be good. If anything yeah. kind of like, But it is interesting. Like this conversation here, I feel like for me and you, it's common sense. We could very easily look at something and be like, yeah, but but I'm not sure whether that's because we've spent 20 years in the industry and we've looked at all these documents and we've seen people get sued and not get sued. What's your take? Would you say it's common sense or like, or is it because we've been in industry so long or how would you kind of break it down to a new trainer in America there?
1: Let's take a quick break.
0: right now.
1: That's a great question. So part of my job as an exercise science professor is I I prepare students to sit for national exams. And we are an educational partner with ACE. Um, And we have this conversation all the time. And one of the exercises I have them do at the beginning of the semester is define the role and scope of a personal trainer for them just coming in they really have no knowledge. We've not dived into any material. It's literally like, what do they think of when they think of personal training, fitness industry, et cetera. Mm. And then I have them reassess that at the end of the semester. And what's so interesting is it's vastly different. Mm. And nine times out of 10, when I ask them that, one of the things they put in that role and scope is provide meal plans.
0: At the start or at the end? At the start. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so it's, it's like this preconceived notion because- yeah. Nutrition and and exercise go hand in hand, right? Like there's, they're this dynamic duo and to make physical progress, you need to make sure you're fueling the proper, the proper way in order to, for your body to meet the demands you're placing upon it. So when they come into this conversation, they're very much, it's not common sense. They don't understand that like your role is you can and should talk about nutrition with your clients, how you engage in that and the, and the specifics that you give them that's where you need to walk a little bit more of a fine line and be very aware of when to refer. So when in doubt, refer out is something that we say in the United States all the time in the industry. So it's, I I don't think it really is common sense. And I think in part because we now, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have the social media thing that we have now. I mean, sure, Facebook and what was that other one?
0: MySpace,
1: uh, my thank you, yeah, MySpace, like that kind of stuff. We're on
0: our age here, aren't we? Here, yeah, me and you. Yeah, we were, right? both five, we're both five in two thousand and three, so you know.
1: Yeah, so you know, it's um, we have that battle as industry professionals, and we constantly see people who market themselves as trainers, mm-hmm. but here's my meal plan that I'm giving you. And most generally it's a 1200 calorie diet and it's fit for everyone. It's just all this garbage. And they're really, they're outside the the defined scope of Mm -hmm. a certified personal trainer that comes from an accredited organization. But we battle that as professionals. And I also think those new, newly certified or, or even those that are embarking on that study journey, that, that kind of study course are, are caught up in that like romanticized version Mm. of what it's like to be in the fitness industry. Well, obviously I'm going to teach people about exercise. Why wouldn't I teach them about nutrition?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't think it's common sense. Yeah. That's such a good, I'm glad you said that because I agree with that. And it's kind of like, and I'm even thinking back to when I started, um, because I think a lot of it is kind of confidence as well. So that's when I, because I think also there's the client side of things like a client walks into the gym they assume that personal trainer is going to give them a, a, a meal plan. And it kind of compounds like, oh, I'll go to the gym. They'll tell me what to eat. They'll tell me what to do. And it's kind of a bit weird for the client if they're like, wait, hold on. You can't tell me what, isn't that why I, why I came here? And then if you're not confident as a new personal trainer, and, and I've been in that situation before, and then it wasn't until I got confident in my ability as a personal trainer and also in the scope, because right. what will happen is someone would say, hey, Johnny, can you write me a meal plan? And I used to do it when I started, because right. I didn't know better, right? But then it was kind of like, oh, hey, look, sorry, Aaron, I actually can't. That's not within the scope of a personal trainer. I can give you some basic nutrition guidelines consistent with the national standards, and there's another conversation there on how you can help and, and that sort of stuff there. Um, but I'd say, look, I can't give you a specific, you know, you're gonna eat this amount of calories, this amount of macros. You're like, oh, but my old personal trainer did, but I I was able to to learn. Yep, that, hey, they can, that's fine. But look, they weren't acting within that scope of practice. And right. you know, if something happened and you know, something happened to you, they wouldn't be able to hold that up in, in the court of law. So unfortunately, yeah, that's not something I'm willing to do, but I can do this. So it, but it took me a while you know, to understand how to do it and, and navigate that. Um, and just on, on a couple other things that's similar to Australia as well. A couple of things Erin mentioned is that there are further certifications similar in Australia as well. Um, the way it kind of works in Australia is you're then kind of at mercy at the certification, though. It's kind of like that that document that I showed before was kind of like if you've done no extra study, if you've just done what's called here in Australia, your Cert 3 and 4 in fitness, that's your scope. If you go out and do, you know, NASM's nutrition course, okay. What they say, you, that's then NASM's thing, you know, um, or precision nutrition. You know, I know they're big over there in, in the USA and Canada as well, you know. If you go and do their course, that's great. But, you know, it's you're at the mercy of, of them. So that's very similar. And I like how Aaron mentioned court of law. Now, we don't have that much of a kind of um, – people don't really sue each other here in Australia. I've, I've um, done this – like I've, I did a bit of a uh, project on this just for my own benefit because I'm big on risk management myself. Yes. And I stumbled across this website that just had all the people that have ever been sued in the fitness space, you know, and they're like all from the US. There's like two or three in Australia. And it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, well, well it's, it, there's, um, there's a couple interesting ones. So in Australia, and it's never been nutrition in Australia. It's just been like, um, really, the only ones that have happened in Australia is the trainer not doing a proper pre-screen. So they have a pre-screen, you know, they've got a, a participant doing an exercise. That person gets injured. They then take the trainer to court, can't hold up in court. Well, did you pre-screen them? If you didn't do that, you're kind of dead in the water, you know. Um, mm. They had a pre-existing injury, and you didn't ask for a, you know, a, 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 a medical clearance. Well, you're dead in the water, you know. Well, you did the pre-screen, but you gave him an exercise that you obviously didn't read it, you know. You're dead in the water. Uh, but there's some in the states. There's a specific one actually. You probably know about it, Aaron. It was um, a trainer in New York, and I think it might have been Crunch Fitness prescribed mm. a supplements, and the client died. It was actually yep. death right? And that's bad enough as it is. And then on top of that, you know, there's obviously legal ramification. So what I recommend as a trainer, not even just in nutrition, in kind of anything like the, uh, what I recommend doing is would the, if you were in the court of law, right? If you went, if something happened to your client, you end up in court, coroner's court, whatever it is, are you safe to back it up and say, well, Hey, look, um, yes, you know, whatever happened, but this is what I did. I pre-screened the person. Did I give nutrition advice? Yes. But was it basic? Yes. Was it in the um, American or Australian dietary guidelines? Yes. You know, what else could I have done? It was in my scope. But if you kind of go in there and plead ignorance, oh, well, I thought it would be okay. Oh, this other trainer does it. Oh, everyone else does it. Yeah, well, and good, but it's not going to help you in in court. So I think that's good there. Um, Let's get to some specific tips now, Aaron. So now we kind of know the framework, how it works. What are some, um, like, maybe just start general. What are some general ideas where it's like, all right, as a personal trainer, you can't, you know, give a specific meal plan. You can't give macros. You can't give, you know, um, calories. What are some really good general principles that a personal trainer could do to give their clients? Because I think we both agree it's not a head in the sand. Oh, I can't do that. So I'm not going to give any advice. Good luck getting results for your clients there. What are some kind of general principles we can do that stay within scope?
1: Let's take a quick break.
0: Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy?
1: That's a really great question. I think the first, the first thing is you have to arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible. Even yeah. if you're not wanting to necessarily seek out an additional certification, when you do your continuing education plan, which I'm a huge fan of like mapping out what it is you want to learn, like evaluate your gaps and decide like, okay, I really need to beef up here. Learn as much about nutrition as you possibly can. Yeah. Got to get a registered dietitian in your network. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, because it's one thing if you have a client that's like, "I want a specific meal plan," and then if you tell them, "Well, go seek out a nutrition expert," Lord knows what they're going to find. Oh. You need to be able to give them a clear path for how they can access somebody in in that particular scope.
2: Yeah,
1: um, I think another tip too is. Um, opening the conversation about nutrition, like don't be afraid to talk about it, but also don't be afraid to note your limitations.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and along the lines of that nutrition scope are the supplement things, you know, they're so unregulated. They're a hot mess. You, you start getting into that and and you're going to find yourself on a struggle bus. So mm. the best thing to do is yes, share the information this is what research says. This is, this is like the reputable resource office of dietary supplements. Like go here, here's what I can share with you. If you're looking for X, Y, and Z, I really want to introduce you to my registered dietitian friend, Sarah, and she's going to help you with this. Um, but I see too many times like trainers are so afraid Mm -hmm. to kind of step in it with nutrition that they avoid it altogether. And they're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. When it comes to client success, you can, and should talk about it. You should be free to talk about things like the role of nutrients in the body. So when a client comes to you and says, I'm going to do the keto diet, have a conversation with them about, well, here's the role carbohydrates play in the diet. Mm -hmm. You're not there to say keto is bad. Keto is good. Like that's not your role. Your role is education, first and foremost. So, sharing reputable information pieces with them, coming from like, you know, we have the USDA and we have the FDA and we've got things like that where we can, you know, share this kind of information, tools, and resources. Myplate.gov is a huge one that's part of the um, USDA. And we can give them tools and things like that. We can help them with behavior. Mm. So, what are actions that you can take to improve your nutrition? And I think a piece of the, you know, one important role of a personal trainer, and I see this a lot is that restrictive mindset of like, I need to stop doing X, Y, and Z yeah. instead of what can I do to, what can I add yeah. to make it better? Yeah. Um, when we start you know, like taking away. Yeah. When we start taking away pieces and like denying someone their evening cocktail or whatever it happens to be, behavior change doesn't become sustainable. So yeah. it's partnering with your client and helping them understand that it's little changes over time and helping them make us one simple change, not 10 or 11, they'll fail. Yeah. Um, and so it comes down to like arming yourself with as much knowledge as possible, being able to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, mm-hmm. but let me see what I can find out. Yeah. And then having that registered dietitian one or two of them. Mm. Um, and I think another really important thing, which is something I just talked about in the presentations that I gave was encouraging clients to do a social media cleanse because oftentimes clients are coming to, I mean, I get this all the time and it'll be some like off-brand workout or some craziness that they've seen that just makes me roll my eyes so hard, not at them, but at the influencer thinking that this person is so uncredentialed, that is flabby science, that makes no sense. Um, But I encourage them, like, how do you feel when you see things like that? Does it provide a sense of joy or does it provide a sense of, oh, I'm not good enough? And you start questioning your enoughness. If it's answer B, then unfollow, because no legitimate fitness professional is going to be peddling that crap. (laughs) We just won't, we know better. Um, We stand behind our certifications and our experience. So I think that's one thing to help kind of set the stage for success when it comes to nutrition is is getting rid of like the garbage and not doing it in a way that you're telling your client, like that person's an idiot and doesn't know anything. You might very well think that, (laughs) and it might very well be the case, but you have to remember like your client was drawn to that information for some reason, but Tap, helping them tap into like an awareness of, I don't feel good when I see that, and it makes me feel bad because I feel like it's unrealistic. It is mm. it's completely unrealistic. Yeah. Unfollow.
0: Yeah. I love that. So well, I, I love those tips. It's, it's similar to my um, opinions and beliefs as well. I think we can put those into kind of three big categories, which is like having a connection with a registered dietitian, some form of um, passing on information and behavior and i'll share my, my take on that so yeah the dietitian is huge for many different reasons and i also recommend as a fitness professional not even just a you've got your dietitian that's great also have a physiotherapist or physical therapist right maybe yeah. have a chiropractor um a gp you know a, a psychologist you know uh yep yeah the more of those you can have the better because it's kind of like there's a difference between me say, say Aaron says Jono, i want to do the keto, job, the, the keto diet, you know, what are your thoughts? The difference between me saying, look, that's within my scope of practice, go and speak to diet, a dietitian. And me saying, look, Aaron, that's out of my scope of practice, but hey, I've got a good friend that's a dietitian. Here's his number, his or her number, here's their business card, say you know me, they'll look after you, I'll also follow up with them later and see if there's anything I can do as well. Even though you're essentially saying the same thing, going, you know, referring onto a dietitian, in terms of professionalism, there's worlds apart between me saying, yeah, go and do. And it's an extra value add between me just saying, oh, yeah, go and see a dietitian," and me saying, hey, I've saved you a heap of time sorting through all these and finding one that's good. I've saved you time. And then I will also liaise with that person to give you a better result. I think mean, professionalism, it's, it's way better. It's also, in my opinion, a way of upskilling your education. Because you'll speak to that um, dietitian. Hey, I had you go there? And is there anything I should do? Anything I shouldn't do? Okay, great. You know, you can learn a bit from from that side of things there. And then even just the business side of things. You know, it could work both ways. Great, you're sending re- um, referrals to that dietitian. They might start to refer back because they trust you as, as a trainer. So I think that's huge there. Um, yeah, the, the, having that conversation and sending to reputable sources is is a good one as well. The way I like to do that is have a look at the reputable source myself and then break it down for the for the client. It might be a five minute video. You know, Hey guys, look, here I am here on the Australian guidelines of healthy eating. Just want to expand on this one point here. Here's this one point here. Here's how we can all implement, implement it. Bang, bang, bang. Hey, if you want more info, you know, there it is. There could be a video on social media. It could be a free one. It could be behind the paywall. Only your clients see that, you know, it's in a closed Facebook group or um, you know, it's on an app or a course or, or something like that. Or it might be an ebook, you know, you've summarized it in the ebook. Hey, you want more information, you know, go and have it over here. So I think that's a good one as well. Uh behavior is, is the biggest one for me. That's the one because I think that's the one we have the most power with as a as a personal trainer. And I personally think it's the one that gives the most benefit as well, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like even if I could write, even if I was qualified to write someone a meal plan. Are they really going to follow it? You know, like it's one thing to write it. Following it's the, the kind of hard part, right? Um, and then on top of that, the, I think the limitation depends on the meal plan and whatnot. But it's kind of like, all right, Aaron, if you, you know, don't do what i tell you to eat on Friday, is that whole meal plan just gone out the window now? Because that one day, you know, whereas what I like about behavior, and I've got a few specific ways I, I want to do this. And I also find it's, it's quite hands-off for the trainer and puts a lot of the trainers more... My take on nutrition as a personal trainer side of things is it's just as much about the accountability, the support and the motivation as it is the actual info there. So a couple little strategies I like to use is just like, hey, Aaron, look, um, I'm a personal trainer. I can't give you a a meal plan, but hey, there's this app, MyFitnessPal. Just track what you eat there. You know, yeah, it'll give you indications, but you know, it's, 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 it's not personalized. Treat that with a grain of salt. But all I want you to do is just write what you eat so you're accountable of, of, of what you eat and even before my fitness pal i used to do that just with a food diet erin here's a piece of paper just write down everything you eat and then see me next week i wouldn't even really give information on it and there's studies that show this as well just by tr- just by someone tracking what they eat they're more likely to eat healthy so that's just a simple one trainers can do without giving any information hey just track what you eat for a week uh, and then come back and see me next week automatically Aaron's going to think why oh, do i really want to have this um you know extra piece of chocolate if i've got to write it down you know so it's an <laughs> extra thing there and even um a step for the limitation to that is it is a bit of a pain in the, the butt for clients my fitness pal good at what it is because you know the trainer can see it in that but a lot of work typing in what you eat and saying when you write it down and that but a good visual one i found is just instagram where I'll tell a client, you know, hey, create an Instagram account. You don't need to get followers or anything just for your own um, own benefit and just take a photo of everything you eat, And that way it's more visual because I think for a trainer, it can be, sorry, for a client, okay, there's all these words on a paper. It doesn't really mean anything. But if you can just look at your grid on Instagram, okay, here's everything I, I hey, I'm not doing too bad, you know, or hey, there's not one bit of green in any of these photos, you know, I better add some green in there. So yeah, that's that's my take on it there. Um, anything to add there? Yeah, I think, um, that I approach it
1: very similarly. Um, I, I do ask clients, like, I want you to keep just a three-day food log, make sure you include Mm. at least one weekend day. And it's a tool to bring about awareness. And then I like to engage in motivational interviewing with them and say, so talk, talk me through this. Like, is, does this reflect a, a typical day for you? Um, is this a typical weekend for you? Um, What patterns did you notice? When you look at the meal composition, what are you noticing? And it's amazing to me how many clients will look at it and go, I didn't realize I drank so much coffee and so little water.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Or I didn't realize that I only have one serving of vegetables and my protein is low. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you can help them create that that sense of awareness, that's the start of a new pattern. That's something that gives them food for thought, literally. Like, hmm, this is interesting to me. And I wonder why this is. And then we engage in this conversation and give them, it gives them that sense of ownership to be able to move forward. And then I like to ask them, like, what's your plan? Like, you've, you've mentioned that you want to do X, Y, and Z. What do you think you're going to do this next week? Yeah. And they'll provide me a response. And like you said, it's, it's more hands-off for us mm. because we can we should be a guiding light for them. We Directing them won't do anything. Yeah. If you tell them, go eat X, Y, and Z, there's no ownership in it for them. And that's not a way to, it, it might work for this long, yep. but then it's not their idea. It's not yep. their goal. So it has to be something the client discovers for themselves. And so that is one thing I like to have them do is that log. And I don't provide them any information. I tell them, I want you to eat normal. Yep. I want this to be the most accurate reflection of your patterns, your food preferences because then it tells me what they like, what they don't like. Yeah. It really reveals some kind of cultural connection to food. Yeah. If possible. Yeah. Patterns. You know, maybe they're eating like every 2 hours and then we need to have a conversation about like, well, blood sugar control, like maybe your meals aren't filling you up enough what can you do differently? Like, how are you feeling after you eat this and before you eat this and just really tuning into like that awareness piece, I think is massively important when you're trying to help a client set a new goal or just change the trajectory of their, of their nutrition.
0: 100%. I'll I'll piggyback off that and then we'll, we'll finish up. So yeah, I think that's huge getting it from the client because just human nature, everyone thinks their own ideas are the best, right? So it's kind of like, If I tell Aaron what to do, and I might really, I know better than Jono, but if Aaron tells me, Hey, Jono, here's what I think I'm going to do. Even though I, even though I could have said the same thing, if you came up with it, or you think you came up with it, you're more likely to do that there. And there's kind of less, um, this is what I'm looking for. It's kind of like the person then can't really argue with themselves. It's kind of like if I said, all right, Aaron, you know, you need to eat more vegetables, you know? Um, you should eat these three vegetables. Well, oh, John, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that. You don't know what you're talking about. But if you flip the switch, all right. You know, what do you think you need, Aaron? Oh, I could probably look like I need some more vegetables. Okay. What vegetables could you get in? Now all of a sudden you can't argue with yourself. So you're taking, you know, the more, the more um, ownership there. And there was just another thing I didn't mention earlier that I'll share as well. So sometimes I will give my personal opinion, but I'll make sure that it's my personal opinion, and I'll, I'll state that. So it's kind of like, ah, oh, Joe, you know, what should I eat as a snack? You know, hey, Aaron, look, I'm not a dietitian. Here's what I personally eat. Not saying it's going to work for you, but here's yes. what i found for me. Right. Or, you know, hey, John, what do you have in a, in, a, in a day? Look, you know, I'm, I'm happy to share what I have in a day, Aaron. Not saying it's going to work for you. This is what I, what I use for me. I'm a, you know, 80 kilo male that's 30, 30 something years old and, you know, no health conditions. This is what I use for, for myself. Not saying it's going to work for you if you want one for yourself, you know you're going to have right. a dietitian, here's what I use. I think that's, that's where I, if I am going to give my personal information, I'll make sure it's clear. You know, yes, yeah. this is what I do, not yeah. saying this is what you should do. If you want to get some ideas from it, that's fine. But you know, it's, yeah. it's just my personal thing. You do what you want with it. But if you want something specific, you go there. Yeah. Um, so hey, I want to start to wrap this up. So sure. First of all, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people watching this, listening this. They're like, okay, this woman is cool. I want to follow her. And I want to see what she's up to. Um, when is the best place we, we go to follow you? What, what's your best social media is? What's your names on there?
1: So LinkedIn and um, Instagram. And I can, if you want, I can email you or, or message you the links if you want to put them in yeah. the show notes.
2: Yeah, that's Would that. that work? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'll do that. Awesome. But yeah, Instagram and, and LinkedIn um, are probably the two that I use the most. And where people tend to you know, connect, want to connect with me the most are on those, on those two platforms. And I can also send you my personal email. So if somebody wants to shoot an email or hop on a Zoom call or something like that, we can do that too.
0: Awesome. Yes. If I would get those links, that would be great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Right, Erin, that's pretty much all I wanted to get through today. Is yeah. there anything I should have asked you but forgot to or anything you want to finish us off with?
1: I don't think so. I think it's a good conversation and great questions. And, and mostly I just want professionals to not be afraid of having that conversation with clients about nutrition. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's so critical to their success and it's critical to yours too. Um, you know, arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can and connect with others that know more than you do
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and then help, you know, get that guidance for when you're in a scenario, like I'm not really sure how to handle this. What should I do? Sometimes it just helps to talk it out a little bit, but don't be afraid to have that conversation about nutrition because your clients need to hear it. Because if they're not getting it from you, they're going to get it from the instant influencer and that is less than reputable.
0: Yep, agree. Awesome. All right, Erin, thank you very much for your time.
1: Yep, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au.
3: Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans?